Hi there, welcome to Glenlyden Baptist Church's podcast network. We're glad you can join us today. If you'd like more information on the church, please visit us on our website, www.gebc.org.nz. We hope you enjoy the pod. Hey, um, you might jump on a plane, you might board a train, you might board a boat, you might get in your car, you, your motor transport might be a motorbike or a moped or maybe it's a bicycle or maybe you prefer to walk to where you're going or to run. Whatever your mode of transportation is, nine times out of ten, you know your destination. Yeah? You know your destination. And, and when you're on that journey to your destination, it can be exciting, right? Sometimes you're going through a new city and you see new buildings and architecture and you go, wow. You know, sometimes you go through a, a new town or a village and it's so quaint or small that you feel relaxed and, and you just kind of rest into the history of the place. Or maybe you're driving through the countryside or through a mountain range or around a lake. Wherever your destination is, the journey to that destination can be really exciting. The book of Revelation is like that. We're on a journey and we know the destination. The destination is a new heaven and earth. And on that journey through the book of Revelation, it reveals to us exciting parts of this journey. We find out more about who Jesus Christ is, his character, what he's actually doing. The kingdom of God is revealed more. The church is revealed more. And, and we see these exciting things unfolding in front of us on this journey through Revelation, but we know the destination. And if we know the destination, then don't worry. Because everything's going to be all right. Don't worry about a thing. Because every little thing is going to be all right. Yeah? Do you believe it? Today, friends, we are in the letter to Smyrna. Ancient Smyrna is located in the modern-day Isma, which is in Turkey. Smyrna is a Roman city. It's full of idol worship. Um, it's got pagan temples. There is a temple to the Roman emperor, and so there's emperor worship. Only emperor worship is allowed. All other religions were banned except one. Judaism was exempt. There's an active Jewish population who is hostile to the church. This is the setting for the letter. The largely Gentile church was considered to be a threat to the Jews and to the Romans. Now, there's a couple of really interesting points about the letters in, um, in Revelation. The first one is this. Smyrna is one of only two letters that Jesus wrote to encourage the believers. The situation in Smyrna is that the believers are facing persecution, and so this letter is written to encourage them. And here's another interesting point. Now, I'm going to get you to try and discern what God might be saying to us as I read this to you. But in each of the seven letters to the churches, they're directly from Jesus, and it includes a description about Jesus from Revelation chapter 1. Each letter has a description from Revelation chapter 1, which is about Jesus, and it reveals more of his character. 
Each one has been crafted specifically for the church that the letter has been written to. So I'm going to read out these seven descriptions of Jesus that come up in these letters. And I want you to try and discern which one Jesus might use for us here at Glen Eden Baptist today. All right? So you've got to listen real close. Are you ready? All right, number one. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Number two. These are the words of him who was the first and last, who died and came to life again. Number three. These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Number four, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. Number five, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Number six, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. And number seven, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. There you go. In each letter, there's a description about Jesus that comes from Revelation 1, crafted for the church that it's going to, to encourage and go into the message that he's about to give. What do you think Jesus would say to us today? Anyone got a thought about it? Did one hit home? Anyone got enough courage to say? Amen to that. Amen to that, which is very similar to the letter today. Anyone else? Did any of those resonate with someone else? Yes, Andrew. He's the beginning and the end. Oh, here we go. We're speaking right into the message today. This is lovely. Awesome. Okay. All right. If you've got your Bible with you, open it to Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. Through to 11, we will be reading this morning. And here we go. To the church in Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna. Now remember, right before chapter 2, in Revelation chapter 1, we read that the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And so here's one of those stars. There's an angel over the church in Smyrna. And so this letter is written to this angel, and it says this, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I reckon that's a word for us today, and we'll hear more about that in a moment. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you, your, give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. 
So let's unpack that a little bit. Let's start at verse 8, if you've got your Bibles there. The first and the last, who was dead and now is alive. The first and last is one of Jesus' titles that he gives himself in three different places in the book of Revelation. The first one is Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 to 18. It says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. But he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, now I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and of Hades. Revelation Chapter 2, verse 8, which is where we are right now, to the angel of the church in Smyrma, write, these are the words of the first and last who died and returned to life. And then Revelation twenty-two thirteen, I am the Alpha and the Maker, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now these titles of Jesus that we read in Revelation are illusions of where the Lord is called the precise same name in the Old Testament. And in particular in Isaiah, there are three places where this is used. Isaiah 41.4, who has performed this and cried it out, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first and the last, I am He. Isaiah 44.6, thus says the Lord, the King and Redeemer of Israel, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. There is no God but me. Isaiah 48, 12, listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I have called. I am he, the first, and I am the last. So what we see in this letter, at the very beginning, is Jesus encouraging the church in Smyrna. He's saying three things. Jesus is claiming to be the God, first of all, of the Old Testament. Secondly, Jesus is claiming his pre-existence as God. In the Old Testament. And thirdly, Jesus, by using this title, is claiming that he was God. He is externally God from the first to the last. Why? Because Smyrna, the church, is suffering. So, starting with I am the first and the last, would have birthed in them some hope. That in the midst of suffering, I can know that my Lord was there at the very beginning and He's there to the very end. And even though I'm in the midst of what I'm in right now, I can have faith and hope in the fact that my God exists from the first to the last. These words should comfort us, yeah? Particularly if you're facing some sort of trial right now. There's no doubting who Jesus is here, right at the beginning, right? Jesus holds our destiny in his hands. Yeah? Verses 9 through 10, we're going to unpack that a little bit. Jesus knows our suffering and our poverty. No matter what we face in life, we should take courage in knowing that Jesus is watching. Jesus is with us. His love sustains us. He's with us, but he doesn't always deliver us out of those places of suffering or pain. Romans 8.35 
be encouraged by this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You continually read in the New Testament that believers are reminded that persecution is something actually that they can expect in their lives. 1 John 3.13 says, Do not be surprised, friends, that the world hates you. The church in Smyrna faced intense persecution. In fact, the earliest record of martyrdom we have outside of the New Testament is in Smyrna. The bishop of the church in Smyrna was Polycarp, one of the early church fathers and a disciple and friend of John the disciple. Polycarp was 86 years old when he was dragged out from his home. And the pro-council at that time tried to force him to deny Jesus Christ, but he refused and it cost him his life. So they built a fire to burn him. And he said this. These were his words. For this and for everything I praise and glorify you through the eternity, the eternal and heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved child. Through him and with him may you be glorified with the Holy Spirit both now and forever. Amen. And then they lit the fire. Eyewitnesses say that when the fire began, an arch like a sail around his body formed and his flesh wasn't consumed. And the soldiers seeing that took their swords and they ran him through. And so he died at the age of 86 because he refused to worship anyone else other than Jesus Christ. Persecution is still happening today. Real people like you and me are being persecuted for their faith. Open Doors has some really sobering stuff on this. It says, some, here are some of the stats. About 400 Christians are killed for their faith every month. That's 13 every single day. And it's stated here that that's likely underreported. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed every month. 772 forms of violence, that's beatings or kidnappings, rape or arrest, are committed against Christians every month. It's estimated that somewhere between 40 to 80 million Christians have been martyred in the course of history. More than half were martyred in the 20th century. That is way too close to home. Many believers around the world faced heightened risk from war, worse jobs, or fewer opportunities because of the faith that they have in Jesus Christ. And yet in the face of this suffering and smurmur, and around the world, and whatever you're facing today, the passage says, you're rich. <laughs> you are rich, really. Yes, you're rich. And this is what you're rich in. You're rich in salvation. You're rich in eternal life. You're rich in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You're rich in God's favor. You're rich in deep joy and peace that passes all understanding. Friends, you are rich. No matter what you face in this life, 
I'm going to tell you, you are rich when you are in Christ. The believers in Smyrna not only face persecution from the government, but they also face persecution from others who said they believed in God. These people were Jews by birth, but they rejected Jesus. And John goes on to call him a synagogue of Satan. Let me read to you Romans chapter 2, verse 28 through to 29. A person is not a Jew who is the one who's one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. And then Revelation chapter 3, verse 9. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. And so the Jews who are Christians and Smyrma are facing persecution from other people who say they love God and are Jews, but they don't believe in Christ, and they are called a synagogue of Satan. Persecution from without and persecution from within. Don't you know what I'm saying? Too often, we don't only face persecution outside, but too often, the church is very sadly persecutes itself on the inside. Jesus is talking here about an inner transformation in our lives that comes with loving Jesus. It's not an outward conformity. It's an inward transformation. And so persecution is from, when it comes from the outside, that's one thing, but it's worse, right, when it comes from the inside, from God's people. And yet in the face of this persecution, Jesus says to them, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. The devil was going to throw some of them into prison. They're going to be tested. And he says to them, be faithful to the point of death. From this we learn an important principle. (laughs) Well, I think just because we have faith in Christ doesn't mean that we are exempt from suffering. It doesn't mean we're exempt from persecution. No. He doesn't promise to deliver us from persecution every time. We know that sometimes he does. We know that he saved Daniel from the lion's den, yeah? We know that he saved Daniel's friends from the burning furnace. We know that. But he didn't save Polycarp from the sword. He didn't save Stephen who was stoned to death. So we don't know why God allows some to be persecuted and why supernaturally others are delivered. We don't fully understand that, but what we do know is that God has a plan. There's a destination. There's a destination that we're all on, and the destination that we're going to is this new heaven and earth. He's got a plan. But Jesus promises to do two things which encourage us to faithfully and boldly stand in the face of any suffering that we might be facing. And he gave these two things to the Christians at Smyrma. 
He said in verse 10, he said, I will give you the crown of life. The same crown here of life is referenced in James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life referred to here comes from the word Stephanos. It can mean a laurel wreath or a reward. So in that time when the Olympics were happening, the, the, they would be awarded a Stephanos. It denotes public honor and recognition for finishing a task well for winning. So the crown of life appears to be recognition or reward that Jesus gives to believers who persevere, I think, firstly in the face of persecution. There's a crown of life for them. But there are other crowns that are alluded to in Scripture as well. There are three others. So not just this crown that you get for persevering in the face of persecution, but there's a crown for winning souls. For sharing your faith and bringing people to faith. There's a crown for righteousness, righteousness for those who look forward to the second coming. And there's a crown of glory for leaders who shepherd the church well. Regardless of all of this, the encouragement is the same to each and every one of us. The one who is faithful will face Jesus. And you will get a reward. If you suffer in his name. Jesus is not blind. He sees what we face in life. He knows and he rewards the one who is faithful. So he encourages the church in Smyrna with the crown of life. And secondly, he says, who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. The second death is hell. Jesus promises that the one who is faithful to the end will not be touched by hell. He doesn't always deliver us from the things we're going through right now, but he does deliver us from hell. Through his death and resurrection, he brings us from that. Submitting your life to Jesus will not exclude you from suffering. But if you keep the faith, he will welcome you and he will reward you. We're heading towards a destination. Let's not be complacent. The world's running fast away from God. Now is the time to prepare, to ready ourselves. Now is the time to be faithful. The only hope we have is in Christ. And that means we need to draw close to Christ now. Not tomorrow, not next week, but now and every day from now. We need to depend on Him day by day. So we can face the so-called small temptations. So we can withstand the bigger temptations in life. Friends, we are overcomers in Christ. He conquered. And so will you. The key is that you must depend on Him. Ask Him for the strength to be faithful. And if you are faithful in the midst of persecution... You will receive the crown of life. He who has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let's pray together.
Father, we hear what you're saying to the church in Smyrna. Father, we are comforted by your words where you say you are the first and last. Our hope is rightly put in Christ. Help us to walk and to persevere in this life that we might get to the destination that is before us and receive the crown of life awaiting for us, that we might be spared from the second death. Help us to persevere. Holy Spirit, help us to live by listening to your voice each day and walking in the way that you want us to go. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Hope that encourages you today. He is the first and the last. He's not going away. He's with you. And friends, you can trust him today. And you can trust him every day. If you're sitting here today and you haven't trusted your life with Christ, then I encourage you to take that step to give your life to Jesus, to trust Him with your life, to give everything you're carrying over to Him and allow Him to take it from you and to walk with you. So I encourage you at the end of the service here, if that's something that God's impressing on your heart this morning, then please, I'll be at the front and I will wait and I will sit and talk with you and pray with you and would look forward to the honor of doing that. But don't go if the Spirit of God is prompting you to move this morning. Thanks again for joining with us today. If you'd like to know more information on the church or reach out to one of the pastors, please visit our website www.gebc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day.